Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I know for some of you, like if you're new to church, you're like, that's kind of weird. Why do we do that? Well, I'm, I'm always wanting to engage us with the Bible, which is God's word, and kind of turn us back there. So that's my reason for doing that. So if you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and Acts is in the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Now, Acts was actually written by a guy named Luke, and there's also a book of Luke. And guess what? He wrote the book of Luke as well. So Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. Luke was a writer. So that'd be a good first grade book. Anyway, so, so he, was, he traveled with the Apostle Paul and, um, uh, on some of his missions trips and that type of thing. And so this is inspired. It's what God's given us. And so I want to talk about, you know, when we understand that, that Christianity was, uh, that it, the thing that Christians everywhere had in common in the early church and still should have in common was a historical event that took place. And that historical event is the resurrection of Jesus. Again, that's, that's a deal, it's, you know, it's a deal breaker. It's a, it's a non-negotiable that being a Christian requires the acknowledgement, the belief in that. Because the resurrection is the thing that says that Jesus' crucifixion was not just another unfortunate, you know, death by the government, but it says that his crucifixion was, it was the father affirming that he's taken our sins upon him, that he is the son of God, that when he was raised from the dead, that it validates all of those things. That's why it's important. So in that, after that took place, then in Acts chapter one, Jesus is talking with the disciples and he's sharing with them after he's been raised from the dead and giving them instruction. But one of the last things he says to him is he says, look, don't do anything yet. He said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the father, which is the Holy Spirit that will be given to you. And he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, then he'll give you power to be witnesses um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I've shared this with you, but the word power there, that there's two different Greek words that are used in the New Testament, and I'm pretty confident I'm going to just like slaughter the pronunciation of both words, right? The first one, I pronounce it uh, exousia, which is spelled E-X-O-U-S-I-A. And so that word literally means authority. And so the, way, the best way I can explain that is probably some of you at one time or another have had somebody pull up behind you with lights that are flashing and pulling you over because they believe you're going faster than you think you should be. Has anybody in here ever had that happen to them? We're going to start a small group, but it's not going to be very small. And so they get out, and the reason why they have permission to do that is because they have a badge that says that the state has given them authority, has given them the ability to do that. Now, I've driven sometimes, and I know there are people that didn't have the badge that wanted me to slow down, but they have no impact on me. <laughs> but when the car pulls up that has its lights on, I pull over immediately. And so that's what authority is. Well, that's not the word that's used here. There's another word that's used. It's dunamis, and it's spelled D-U-N. A-M-I-S. It's real similar to a word that we have called dynamite. And when dynamite shows up, the power in dynamite changes things. And so he said that you'll receive power, and, and it wasn't the exousia, the authority. It was the, it was the dunamis, kind of this, this power, this might that transforms stuff. That you're not just going to be talking or anything like that or just doing good works, but things are going to be changed when you're there because the Holy Spirit is there with you and when he shows up and begins to move, then things change. He changes things. He changes lives. 
He changes us. He changes our marriages. He changes our relationship with God. He impacts our mental health and our physical health in good ways. And so it's, it's a transforming power that he shows up with. So we want to look at when the, he was first poured out upon Christians and what took place in that community as a result of it. So let's start with Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Another, let me go on explain it, by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. So, Kind of to understand what was going on here, part of it is, as it said before, there are a number of people that lived there that were from different ethnic groups, different nationalities, different languages and stuff like that. But there were also, because of the, the season, the, the Feast of Pentecost was taking place, that a number of people from all parts of the world had shown up there. And as a result of showing up there, you know, there to worship, then this event happens and they begin to hear these people speak in languages that aren't their own. I mean, the, the, the people that are speaking don't, don't typically speak by. But the people that were hearing heard them speak in their own language. The goodness of God and the glories of God. And so it created this moment for Christianity at its birth to validate and confirm that Jesus is who he says he is to all of those that live there. But it also, for people that were visiting in pilgrimages, getting ready to go back home, it caused kind of an organic spread of Christianity in the beginning. So it was just a supernatural thing, you know, just that, that had taken place. Actually, I have a, a friend of mine that had an experience like this. I have a friend of mine, he was born Jewish. His family was, I mean, generationally was Jewish. He was, he was raised in home. He went to a Jewish school. He spoke Hebrew. They taught him traditional Hebrew prayers and that type of thing. And, and so um, he was not a Christian. And one day he saw a girl and he thought she was attractive. And so he did what most guys do when they see a pretty girl and they're both single. Uh, he went and asked her out. And she said, well, um, the only place I'll go on a date with you is church because she was a Christian. And so she was smart because she gets, we guys are easy. And so he's like, I get to be with you. Yeah. Okay. I'll go to church. Well, they just go to any church. They went to Pentecostal church and it was like all day church. You know what I mean? So <laughs> some of you've been to all day church, right? And I'm telling you what, when it comes all day church, nobody does like Pentecostals. And so uh, I mean, they, they just, they don't know it's all day. You know, you've been there like, man, that's five hours. They're like, don't it just feel like 15 minutes? No, it feels like five hours. But I mean, to them, you know, it's just, you know, and I, and, and I, and I love them. And so uh, my dad used to take me to Pentecostal tent meetings when I was a kid because he liked the music. 
And then we went to the Lutheran church on Sunday morning. I was kind of confused religiously anyway. So, but, so he, he was there at, with, with the girl that he was interested in at Pentecost All Day Church. And so he went out in the hallway after who knows how long. He was just kind of walking around, got a drink of water, that kind of thing, kind of stretched his legs. And he was looking at, I think, the bulletin, bulletin board, and a guy came out to him that went there, and he said, hey. And they didn't, he didn't know. It. it was my friend's first time there. He said, hey, can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah, okay. And he begins to pray, and he's praying a Hebrew prayer that my friend had grown up with. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the most common prayer. In other words, most you know, dialects or sects of Hebrew did not pray this prayer. It was kind of a unique one. And so it was just word for word what he grew up with as a boy. And he was surprised to hear this. And so he looked at the guy, he goes, you speak Hebrew? And the guy goes, I speak Hebrew. I mean, <laughs> he, was, he was praying in, in other tongues and wasn't even aware. And the Holy Spirit was having him speak a language that he didn't even know. He didn't know it was an earthly language. And it spoke to my friend, and that day he gave his life to Jesus. And eventually, later on, his family embraced Jesus as the Messiah and converted to Christianity. It was just an incredible thing that was similar to this day of England. So, so, um, so all of this happens on the day of Pentecost. They're speaking these languages. People are like, they're Galileans. How do they know what, you know, what, you know, what the people in uh, Cappadocia speak or Mesopotamia or Egypt, you know, Egypt and that type of thing. And so, so, so we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd include, ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So it's either something God's really doing or they're just hammered. And so, <laughs> well, right? And so, um, so then Peter stepped forward. Now, the thing that impresses me about this is like, Less than two months earlier, Peter was hiding. He was hiding himself. He, he even lied to like a teenage girl. He was like, hey, aren't you one of them? No. And he was, you know, he even cussed like, no, blank, blank. I'm not one of them. Well, the, the impact of God's presence being there transformed him from a guy that was hiding that it says his response now in the middle of kind of this chaotic situation is that then Peter stepped forward. Okay. You want to know what's going on? I'm going to tell you. He said, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Some of you should underline that. And so he goes, <laughs> he said, <laughs> before you come to church. Anyway, no. <laughs> No, no, what you know what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. So the church 
the, you know, the, these people are identified as Christians among themselves because they're all witnesses and believers in the physical resurrection of Jesus. But, but they didn't move out and demonstrate what that looks like, what it looks like to be a believer until the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, then at this moment, they begin to move and we begin to see demonstrated immediately what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and his presence is there, what's revealed. So people begin to witness to people, not just in their own strength or their own ability, but God helps them supernaturally to declare the goodness of God and who Jesus is and why humanity, why we need him. And these things begin to happen. Then, then Peter steps forward and he begins to preach about who Jesus is and begins to declare boldly evidence of why he is the son of God. And all of these things go on. Let's move down to verse 36. And it says, so Peter says this, he said, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And so what's evidence of God's presence? If, if God's really moving, how do we know? What, what takes place there? And, and I think one of the first things we see here, if you're taking notes, number one is this, is that when that happens, this is what happens, is that Jesus is front and center. That, that he's the most important one. It's, it's the most important relationship that we talk about. That his presence is what the big deal is. You know, that we, we could gather every week and, and we may, you know, there may be elements of it that we like and, and that type of thing and connect and engage, but, but there's just something about, it's really, it really is not story changing unless he's here. You know, we, we started Cedar Point, you know, 16 years ago and a lot of you know my story. That I was brought up here, as I said before, I graduated from Claremore High School and then we, Tina and I went and lived, uh, we lived in Arkansas for, you know, six months. I served my time there. I was released on good behavior. And so we went to New Mexico. And so um, we lived, <laughs> uh, at least you're not Texas. Anyway, so um, we, <laughs> we went to New Mexico and we lived there for 17 years. And it was, it was a great place. You know, it was, it was uh, home to us for the longest time. But man, my heart always wanted to be here. And so, you know, a lot of times people use oaky like a derogatory word and that type of thing. And I, I embrace it, man. I'm an oaky. I mean, it's just what I am. You're just an oaky. I'm like, I am. And so, I mean, it's who I am. So, some of you all are too. We're, we're probably cousins. And so, um, um, and so you know, we, we have that. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, when we, were, we knew, and this, you know, I, I knew a few years before we left New Mexico that God was calling us, you know, to pastor somewhere. And as time went on, he began to reveal more and more of it. And eventually that we were going to start a church. And so I, we were wondering, like, what do we name our church? You know, what, what do we call it? And so there were different names we could have had. And I was sitting around with some friends of mine. And we were just, you know, there's a, a, one buddy of mine had said, he, he kind of gave a philosophy on naming a church. And I thought, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. And so we were throwing out names. And somebody said, hey, how about Cedar Point? And we're like, yeah, we kind of like that name. Well, we're not the deepest thinkers in the world. And so we didn't think about all the questions that that would raise. So we started Cedar Point. And some people go, now, like, are there a lot of cedars there? And I'm like, man, I, I really don't know. And so they're, they're like, um, why, why did you name it that? We, we thought it sounded cool. And so, um, so then people felt bad for me, and so they started trying to give me purposes for the name. You know, like, they, like some guy came up and gave me an acrostic, like C stands for Christ, you know, E stands for everyone, 
D stands for, I, I, I have no idea. And so, I mean, just, and I, you know, I, oh, thank you, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, and so then other people are like, you know, well, you know, the, there's a verse that says you can be strong as the cedars of Lebanon and you can point the way to Jesus. I'm like, that's very creative. We're not going to use it, but yeah, it's creative. So, so, you know, it was just one of those things that we just liked. And so, you know, whenever, you know, whenever you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, where you are and where, you know, you have you're, the name of the place, you know, there's a name for the place. And so you're inviting people to it. And so, so, you know, we share, hey, come to Cedar Point and that type of thing. But, but here's the thing that I always want to guard against. And, you know, I'll just tell you right now, some of you are new. This is your first time here. And one of the things I ask people is, hey, give us three Sundays. You know, like, just give us three Sundays and see if this is where God has you planted. Now, in my world, he would plant everybody here, but I know that's not what he wants. And, and I'll just say this publicly. There's a lot of good churches in this area. I mean, we're just blessed, man. There's a lot of good churches in this area. I know the pastors and the people that lead there, they're people of God. They have a heart for what the Lord wants to do and that kind of thing. And, and so, um, so there's, there's that. Um, but I, you know, I, I would like, I mean, if, if you show up here, I'm just, I'd love it if you stay with us. Everybody, you know, we're, you're, everybody's welcome here. It doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we're all okay. It just means that whatever we come in with, that when we come in, that, that Jesus wants you here and he wants to begin to do a work in all of us. And so I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you, I mean, I don't care, the only thing I care about your story is because I care about you. But if you've ever felt like, I'm just, you know, I'm too broken, who would want me in church? We do. We do. So, but with all of that, I say that, you know, I want to be really careful that we never make the name Cedar Point more important than the name Jesus. Because at the end of the day, even if the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, this isn't where I have for you, there's someplace else I have. That if, if you don't stay here, that there's, there's really no tragic or tragedy in that, if you don't know us. The tragedy is if, if you don't know Jesus. And so, when the presence of God is here, then Jesus needs to be front and center. I'll just tell you this much. I was, I was talking about this in the first service, and I just had this awareness. I mean, his presence just became tangible to me. That it was like, you know, he was confirming that. There's a lot of things we can do, but this, you know, I'm grateful for this building. It's dedicated to the work of God. But more important than the building are the people that are in it. Because the people don't belong to this building. They belong to him. And so we're, we're his. Now, we gather together here. Some people gather together in other places and that type of thing. But we should all be gathering for the same reason, because of Jesus. And if at any time, if, if other things become more important than him, then we've, we've missed it. Because when his presence shows up, that it shows up to confirm Jesus. It shows up to confirm who he is and that, and that we should understand and realize that in this moment, that it's all about him. And so Peter, all of these people are together in this house, kind of, you know, kind of like we finish, you know, almost like they're hiding together again. But when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there's this transformation that takes place and they spill into the streets and begin to declare the goodness of God and begin to talk about Jesus and what he did and who he is to them and what plan he has for them. When God's presence is here, Jesus is front and center. He's what matters. So in verse 36, 
It says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Let's keep reading there. Verse 37 says this, Peter's words pierced. Everybody say pierced. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So not only is Jesus front and center, but the second thing that happens is, is that when his presence is here, there's conviction from the Holy Spirit. It said that their hearts were pierced. That God was dealing with them in a way that only God can. I think probably we have a lot of similarities in our stories. And, and you know, and, I, and I'll tell you this. I know you know this, but it's good for you to hear me say that I know it. And that is, is I, I know I'm not perfect. And so there are areas in my life, some areas that, you know, that, I've, that I feel like I get victory over sometimes. And then all of a sudden they show back up and that type of thing. And, or, or just things that I'm dealing with. And, and sometimes some of the things I deal with, they don't impact everybody. They just impact those that are closest to me. Like, you know, there's some things like will impact my wife more than they impact anybody else. And sometimes to the point that it creates pain in her life and she'll talk to me about it. And I love her. And I don't want to hurt her or disappoint her. But as important as that is, sometimes it's not enough to bring about change in my life. And sometimes she's talking to me out of frustration. And, and sometimes that frustration impacts me in a good way. And sometimes it just causes me to push back verbally. I just realized this, there's some changes in my life that no matter how much people love me, they can't bring about. That it only happens when I get in the presence of God and he begins to convict me. That he begins to deal with my heart in a way that only he can. That he goes to that place that's vulnerable, that nobody else sees it. Maybe I've hidden it with my anger. I've hidden it with my personality or my attitude. And he, he sees right through it. He goes right to that place. It says that their hearts were pierced. Jesus said this, that the way that we come to him is that the Father, that we're drawn to him. That he said that when the Holy Spirit comes, that he would, he would convict us or convince us of our need for Jesus. So there's this conviction that takes place. And it's not condemnation. Condemnation says you went too far. God couldn't use you. You know, you're just not any good. Conviction says, don't do this. It, it pulls us to him. And so when the presence of God is here, there's conviction. The, the very first conviction we experience is our need for him. I remember being brought up in church, but for whatever reason, I think it was junior high, the very first time that I ever experienced conviction of my need for Jesus. I was, I was at, a, at a fellowship of Christian athletes thing, and, and the, the coach that I had, his cousin was a guy named Steve Davis, who was a quarterback at the University of Oklahoma at that time. And so he was a Christian, he came in, and he, here I am like this seventh grade kid, and Steve Davis is sharing with us his testimony and I just remember this conviction of like, and, and to be honest with you, there was a little just kind of tension on the inside of me because I'm like, well, I think I'm a Christian because I've gone to church all my life. And yet on the other hand, even though I thought that there was this conviction of, yeah, but I haven't done this. And you know, God began to reveal to me that going to church is good, but that's not the most important thing. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. That it begins with a relationship with Jesus and that's when he convicts us that we respond to him. And so in my teen years, I, I, I remember that I got serious about my relationship with God. That conviction kept drawing me to him. 
And so it's been a number of years since I was a teenager. Thank you for those polite chuckles. Anyway, so it's been a number of years since, since that. But the truth of the matter is, is that that wasn't the only time that the Holy Spirit's dealt with me or convicted me. You know, since then in my walk, if there's been seasons that he's dealt with me. Sometimes I would come into church service and there'd be something going on in my world, whether it was my marriage, my secret life, my relationship with my kids or with somebody else. Maybe I'm dealing with hurt or disappointment or anger or unforgiveness. And in that service, there would be a conviction that would take place. I was pierced in my heart where it was almost like there was a grief that what I was doing, I didn't want to do anymore. A grief that I, I don't want to keep going down this path. Well, it wasn't man-made. If I could duplicate that on my own, I would do it every time I miss it, but I can't. It's something that the Holy Spirit does that's unique. My hope is, there's a lot of things that I want us to experience when we come here. I hope we get to laugh together. I hope we get to celebrate things that God does together and things that are happening in your life. But I also hope that we get to experience the conviction of God and how we follow him and what our relationships look like and how we treat each other. Because if that's missing, then his presence either isn't here or he's not allowed to do what he wants to do. They were pierced in their hearts. I read this. They were pierced in their hearts. They said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? There is conviction from the Holy Spirit when he's here. Let's look at this last one. We'll close the, this part of this. He goes, Peter replied, when they asked that question, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn. Everybody say turn. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. You hear that? He preached for a long time. So when I preach for a long time, I'm being biblical, just so you know. Anyway, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So they were pierced in their heart, man. 3,000 were out of the church. They go, what are we supposed to do? And he said, repent. In other words, you know, turn from that and turn towards God. So with that conviction, and the reason why you know it's conviction again is because it's calling you away from something and calling you towards God. Condemnation just calls you to stay in your regret and in your disappointment and in your despair and in your shame. Condemnation is not of God. Conviction is. He calls you away from that and he calls you away from all the shame that that brings and says, turn from that to him. And so it brings about a changed story in our life of what Jesus does and what he wants to do in us. And so evidence of his presence is that people turn to God. Man, I, you know, every fifth Sunday we do baptisms. And it's one of my favorite things. I, I love to see people, you know, just get baptized. It's their way of making a public declaration and, and how we celebrate and, and all of those things. Just, just that evidence that they've had an encounter with God and that Jesus has done something in their life, that their hearts were pierced and their need for him. They became aware of that and they turned away from whatever had their heart's attention and whatever they were going to do and they turned towards God. 
That's, that's what his presence does in our life. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that when, again, when we come here, I want us to experience that conviction, but I don't want it to stop there. I don't want you to leave just with conviction hanging on to you. I want you to be able to go, what do I need to do then? And for us to be able to respond, man, just turn away from that and turn towards Jesus. Does that mean I'll be perfect? No. The one thing that's perfect about me is my imperfection. I'm, I'm perfectly imperfect. That means I'm imperfect a lot. But he calls us to him. He calls us away from this and to him. He, he does that, you know. And, and so that's why we say when you come here, whatever, whatever's part of your life, whatever's part of your world, come in here and let's let Jesus be front and center and let that way he can talk to us. Talk to me about the things in my world. Talk to you about the things in your world. Well, you know, uh, that, that we have all of these things that we want to do. And so we want to see change stories. We, I went and saw... Um, uh, Jesus Revolution yesterday. And, you know, for me, it really spoke to me. It, it moved me. And one of the things that, that they, there's a part in there, and this isn't a quote, but I thought it was so good, that they said, um, that they said you know, these guys were praying for, for God to show up and, and that type of thing. And, and they, wanted, they wanted Jesus to be in their services. And it says when the hippies came in, that Jesus came in with them. And I thought, what a great statement. Because he cares about people. He cares about the loss. I heard this story years ago about um, this man that was, he was just known for being a rascal. He just, he did a lot of bad things. He had a bad reputation. None of the town liked him. And he, did, he wasn't aware that it was God, but God was dealing with him. And God began to deal with him and deal with him and deal with him. And finally, he's like, okay, man, I want to change my life. And he didn't know what to do. So he thought, I'm, I'm going to go to that church down there. I think, I guess that's where you go. So he went down there, he walked in, and the people in, in the church, it was a small town. They knew who he was. They didn't like him. Like, well, so they, they kind of just, they treat him in such a way, they ran him off. The guy went down to the creek bank, and he's kind of sitting there. He's all kind of just downcast and that type of thing. And eventually, Jesus appears to him and very lovingly says, you know, what's wrong? And he goes, well, I, I just want to give my life to you. And I, I went down to that church, and they wouldn't let me in. And Jesus goes, well, don't feel too bad. I've been trying to get in there for years. They won't let me in either. <laughs> and, and I... And I, I think there just has to be this recognition that that when we show up and he convicts us, he convicts us because he's, he's talking to us about a place that we're broken in. So if you've shown up broken, you're in the right place. We have that in common. But in the middle of that, don't be surprised whenever Jesus is here and his spirit deals with you about that, not to condemn you, but to offer you something else. And so you've been embracing this, you, this has had its hooks in, you've been doing this and He's like, you can have me. The evidence of his presence is this, is that people turn to God. Their stories are changed. They have an encounter with him. I, I never want to be a place where there's never conviction. Where there's never people whose lives are changed. Where there's never, a, when we don't have those, we have those fifth Sundays and, and we won't have anybody to celebrate because their hearts are turned. I always want to be a place that, that there's evidence that Jesus is here because this is what he does when he shows up and he's given permission. That's what the church did in the early days. I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. Let's just spend a moment with God and just, you know, let him speak to you, deal with you, whatever it is that he wants to do.
Let's just spend a moment with him.